Well, as we have been going through Advent, uh, through the book of Ruth, we find ourselves in Ruth chapter 4 this morning. Um, Ruth chapter 4, though, verses 1 through 17, there's the last few verses at the end that we're not going to address today, but actually next week. It's a more of an epilogue to the entire book and the, the story going through. Uh, so we're going to look at that next week, but today we're going to be focusing on um, the bulk of chapter 4 uh, all the way to verse 17. Uh, let's pray before, we, before we, we hear the word here uh, as it's read, uh, before we hear the preaching. God, we thank you that you are not a silent God. That you are one who, though you are far from us, have chosen to speak to us, to address us. That you have addressed us through your word here. The word of your son, Jesus Christ. And the word that we have inspired by your spirit. And we trust in that. We ask then that your spirit who inspired this word here. That, would, that he would be continuing to work among us this morning to open and illumine our hearts and our eyes and our minds to receive this word, to receive it gladly, to receive it with softened hearts so that you might do your renovating work among us this morning to grow us in our view of you, in knowing who you are, to find us ourselves then uh, properly oriented before you as you are calling to us as the covenantal God. May we then respond accordingly to these summons. Um, and would you be, again, by your spirit working to align us to, uh, to better uh, respond to you here. To respond in faith and a faith that works through actions. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we read, just a, a quick, uh, if, if you're coming in and unfamiliar with where we are in, in Ruth or what the story's about, it's about, we have a, a, couple, a couple women, Naomi and Ruth, uh, who have lost everything, but who are now are on the precipice of gaining everything through a, a redeemer, Boaz, who's a, a relative who is attempting to go and to uh, to uh, bring, uh, to restore inheritance and rights to them, and for Boaz to be a husband to the young widow Ruth. But there's one thing that's, that stands in the way, and that's a potential other redeemer who is nearer to them. And so Boaz here is going to go and, and attempt to see if, if this other closer redeemer is going to be the one who will step up and do the work, or rather if it's going to be him. And so let's read from Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our, our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of these sitting here, in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, 
and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the matter of a testing in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and to Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Amen. Six words that everyone knows that come at the end of stories. What are they? And they lived happily ever after. Words that every kid hears. Words that kids love. Words that we long for at the end of stories. And then we grow up. And we hear those words and they lived happily ever after. And we think about those stories. And we either cling to them as some sort of fantastical idea. As some sort of escapism on one hand. Because we know the world doesn't look work like that. Or on the other hand we grow cynical. Because we know the world doesn't work like that. Either way, the common assumption lying at the bottom of it here is a disbelief. Because those stories are just fairy tales. That's not what real life seems like. Does that seem to be the case at the end of the book of Ruth here? We have Ruth and Boaz coming together. They get married. They have a child here. Naomi, who's, who's this whole time has been bitter in her loss, she's now filled with joy at her new grandson that she has on her lap. And they lived happily ever after. 
But life so often doesn't look like this. It seems to be a distorted mirror of reality, right? We've heard so much throughout the book of Ruth these last four weeks about the Lord acting in covenant faithfulness. And so is this what we can expect? Is this what I can expect for me? Perhaps these are words of a nice story that are intended to lift my spirits. But rather, though, I feel crushed. Because if this is real history, as the scriptures claim them to be, then the Lord must be absent in my life. Or maybe on the other hand, is this what I'm holding out for? Is this what God has for me in the middle of this? Well, we have to remember this is a real historical story. And the real historical covenantal Lord coming down and reaching into our history. Not just Ruth and Naomi's history. And all of this is orchestrated. This whole story is orchestrated by the God, the same God whom we serve today. It doesn't really matter if your life right now mirrors this happily ever after trope. Because God's redemption is far better. And his covenant faithfulness brings us into something far more grand. That this is all here, what we see is a dim light before the true resolution that happens at the end of the story. And that resolution is far more than any, is far better than any other story, fairy tale or not. It's one that isn't escapist. It's not something that we hold to as a fantasy to get us through difficult times because it's real. And it's also a story that doesn't allow for cynicism either. Because the resolution of this story is beyond all of our fallen human existence. There is, this is a story of God's covenantal faithfulness in restoring Naomi and Ruth into wholeness. This is what wholeness looks like. It's how wholeness manifests itself to us. Wholeness comes to us by a redeemer. Now stick with me through the rest of this story, though, as we, we look at this main idea. The Lord's covenant faithfulness promises restoration to wholeness by a redeemer. The Lord's covenant faithfulness promises restoration into wholeness by a redeemer. It was a redeemer for Ruth and Naomi, and it's a redeemer and a redemption that is for us also. We see from this passage what restoration and what redemption looks like. And we also get a glimpse of the redeemer as well here. And so our three points that I want us to look at this morning, we see a redeemer with sacrificial willingness. We see a redeemer who restores into blessing. And we see a redeemer for the nation or for the generations also. This is what the Redeemer looks like here. So first, a Redeemer with sacrificial willingness. Now, that's seen in the actions and the dispositions of Boaz through the proceedings here that, that we have with this other potential Redeemer. And what we have here is a legal drama unfolding. Now, courtroom dramas aren't very exciting if you don't understand legal proceedings, if you don't know how a trial works, right? That's why, kids, what are your favorite movies? They're probably things like Lego movies, Star Wars, you know, Mario, whatever it is. It's not like 12 Angry Men or The Firm, okay? It just seems like a lot of talking and a lot of dramatic moments. Someone wins, but you don't know why they win, it's the same thing here. There's a legal proceeding that's happening between two potential redeemers for Naomi. But then we have this added twist because also in there is, this, is the marriage for Ruth. 
Now let's re recap the idea of a redeemer that we talked about last week, because that's important here. What was a redeemer to Israel? What was this idea of a redeemer coming in and saving uh, the land for a family? Well, what happened was, was for, there were people, for whatever reason, they may have lost their, their land or their inheritance. There was a provision that was in the law for a redeemer, someone who was a nearby, someone who was a relative, to step in and intervene on their behalf. The redeemer was a close relative who had come to them in their aid, who would buy back the land and give it to them, all at their own expense, right? No strings attached. The idea was to prevent the inheritance from, from, that they had, that the family had, from being lost. And that was especially the case for widows. Now, being a, wi a widow was a dangerous position to be in, especially with the legal customs in that time that made it difficult for inheritance and for land rights uh, to, to be passed along with, with the widow. And so you needed, a widow needed usually some sort of, some sort of mediator in this time. And that meant... That a widow there was prone to being exploited. And especially so, even more so in a situation like Naomi's where Naomi didn't just lose her husband. She lost both of her sons too with no grandsons. There was no one else who could vouch for her. Hence you needed a redeemer to come to your defense. And this other redeemer here was a closer relative of her husband, her deceased husband Elimelech. And so the whole tension in the story now, is it going to be Boaz or is it going to be this other man, this other relative, this other redeemer who could step in and do it? And, you know, as we, we go through the story, we're rooting for Boaz, right? We see Boaz being a man of noble character, a man full of covenantal faithfulness, not just to, to, to Ruth and Naomi, but to everyone who he comes in contact with. Boaz goes to the city gates, which was where everyone would pass in and out of, and he finds the Redeemer, because that's where important people sat. That was like the coffee shop of the day, where you could find the who's who of Bethlehem, sitting at the city gates. He finds this other, this other potential Redeemer coming by, and he finds some other important elders of the city. Hey, let's all sit down here. We've got something to discuss. And he lays it all before him. And to this other Redeemer, this closer one, it seems agreeable it seems like a win-win situation for him. Because on one hand, he would get, the first thing, he would get, he would gain reputation and status as being a, a redeemer, right? For someone who was known as being generous and giving, he would gain that reputation. And now also, Naomi had no heirs either. And so the land would normally be redeemed to, to the heir, but he, there was no heir then to give it to. So he eventually would obtain rights to the land, so he would end up winning, winning status in the community and he would end up getting down the line the inheritance of Naomi. Now it would also involve the, the ongoing care of her as, as a widow. But what's one, extra, what's one extra person to care for when you get a good land deal out of it all? Because when she died, then it would be his land. It would be an inheritance for his family. This is where the legal drama rises to the deep tension. Is Boaz not going to be the redeemer of Naomi and the husband of Ruth, the one we've been rooting for here? But suddenly, it takes this turn, this deaf left turn there, and Boaz reminds him, you know, don't you remember Ruth also? Because if you acquire 
Naomi and the, the, the rights to the land, you also acquire Ruth as, as a wife. Now, Naomi was the, the widow of Elimelech, had no heirs. All right? Her two sons had died, no, son, no other sons, no children. Ruth is her daughter-in-law here. She's also widowed, and she has no heirs, no, no children. And so a redeemer also would be expected to marry the widow and then to provide an heir, if there was none who existed, to continue the family name and pass along the inheritance then. So Naomi being the older widow, but Ruth still being young, Naomi, or Ruth was considered to be then, in one sense, the, the, the widow of Elimelech, in this situation, in verse 5, they call her Ruth, the widow of the dead. That's referring to then here being the, the widow here, you would say, of, in one sense, of Elimelech. And so now, though, in this man's mind, the stakes are raised. Because it's one thing to care for Naomi. But it's an entirely different thing to also marry Ruth and care for her and then to go through all of the other associated duties. And for, for if, if, uh, if this other redeemer was a, a relative, of, a closer relative to, to Elimelech than Boaz, then he was a man of probably considerable age also. So think about what this would entail. It would entail, in one sense, building an ADU on your property and caring for, for Naomi and Ruth and raising a child then with Ruth also, and providing for them all, and being a dad all over again with all of the other things that that goes with being a dad. Going to baseball games, going to soccer games, helping with homework, all that other stuff. That's a much bigger ask now. Being a redeemer in this situation was a big responsibility. It wasn't just financial. It was, it was, it was so much of his life there. And he knows then, this, this potential redeemer knows that it would come to a cost to him and especially to his inheritance that he hoped to pass along to his own family. And he knew then that he would end up taking a big financial hit. It wasn't quite as sweet of a deal as he first thought it was. So he hears this and he passes. He's like, I can't do this. Boaz, you've got the next right to be the redeemer. And of course, we know Boaz does. Boaz willingly steps in, willing, gladly steps in. The book of Ruth is a story of covenantal faithfulness. And of all the instances of covenantal faithfulness that we've seen, this is one of the most extraordinary moments right here. We have a man who's willing to give up so much for the sake of love. But not romantic love. Primarily here, the love of others. The love of others within the covenant community. To see after their well-being, feeling duty-bound, and willingly would give himself and everything it costs to help them. To the point of burying this incredible financial cost here, there was no way that he was going to, to even break even financially in this whole deal. But that's not the point. The point of it here is that covenantal faithfulness doesn't look at others in terms of financial term, in, in terms of finances or economic units. The spirit of covenantal faithfulness, being wrapped up in covenantal faithfulness, having that be a part of you, means looking at one another as, bear, as image bearers of the living God. 
and it looks as, uh, at others who are in the covenant community, not just as image bearers, but also as family. And that comes from a deep desire to show covenantal faithfulness. Boaz saw it as a privilege to do so. And that's what happens when people know the covenant faithfulness of the Lord. They look for opportunities to, to display it. Recipients of this covenantal faithfulness from God grant it to others in turn. And not for any other personal reason than the joy and privilege of showing God's covenantal faithfulness. Of being living examples of it. Not for their own reputations. After all, that does happen, doesn't it? All right, we, we, think, we look at people within the church who we look at them as, as examples of generosity and kindness and effusive love. And we look at them with a sense of awe. We think, I could never be a person as generous as that. I could never be as giving as that person. I could never be as outwardly loving as that person is. But really, though? Really? Because they are only that sort of person because of God's covenantal faithfulness, by his work in them, and by his promise to change us into people who reflect the heart of God. See, part of God's promise here is to mold you into the image of Jesus Christ. His purpose is to make you look more like Jesus. That's what the work of the Spirit does in you, to grow you in faith, and so you look like Jesus. Is that something that you doubt? Is it a promise that's given to you that you doubt sometimes, either because you realize how much you don't look like Jesus in these times? And over history, how much you still, even if you've been walking with, with him for years, how much you still don't look like him? Is that something you doubt? Well, friends, the, the only way that, that, one, that, that any of us actually have that sort of generosity or show that sort of covenantal faithfulness is because of God's covenantal faithfulness that he has shown us. And that he continues to do so by molding us in the image of Jesus. Is that something you doubt? Again, it comes from the Holy Spirit. Do you doubt the Spirit of God who's promised to work within you? Philippians 2.13, we're reminded of that, that passage, that verse where it says, it's God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It pleases him to work in you. That's his covenant faithfulness and action right there. Is that something that you believe? If not, why? If it is something that you believe, are you looking to Christ, though, to be changed? Or are you looking to change yourself? Because God's covenant faithfulness is not the same as self-improvement. Boaz and his self-giving redemption should lead us to consider what sort of a redeemer that we're looking for. One that we're looking to is... And it should be one who gives up everything for our sakes, who spares no expense because we need to be fully redeemed, not just partly, not just halfway. 
Because if we really are as poor and needy as, as the scriptures say that we are, then we need a redeemer like Boaz. We need one who will give himself fully, who will willingly go the whole way and give everything in order to give us a real future. Boaz shows us what real redemption looks like. How it embraces the cost. How it is willing to go the whole way to redeem the whole person. Right? The redemption of the Lord it pro- that he provides is in totality. Because God gives in totality for the totality of the person. It's a whole redemption for the whole person. Second though second point here of a redeemer who restores into blessing a redeemer who restores into blessing the redemption here that we see happening it turns into this great reversal and that's the arc of restoration that we've seen throughout the story of going from bitterness into blessing this is the happy ending at the, at the story here. This is the Lord's providence that we've seen over the whole story. And now we see them being the, the wholeness that the Lord had brings to Ruth and Naomi. This is the joyful moment. Ruth now, she is, 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 is uh, enjoying all of this here now with a new husband. And the hope that that brings, Boaz. Her time of widowhood is over. And the sorrow that she experienced as a widow is now turned to joy. And not just joy of being married, but being the joy of being married to a man who is worthy, to a man who is full of covenantal faithfulness. And then with Boaz, being married to him now brings this full acceptance into the people of Israel. Now she is a foreigner, she is, she is a Moabite who came to know the Lord. And she has come into God's people, but still with a sense of an outsider. But no longer now is she an outsider in the, in the, in the, 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 the sense of being a part of, of the community. Right? She is now brought in, not just by faith, but she's brought in visibly too. Uh, you see that as uh, in verse 11. Now, all the times before, they referred to her as Ruth the Moabite. But now... They refer to, they say, may the Lord make the woman. She's not the Moabite. She's a woman. One that that they're joyfully bringing into their midst here. And Ruth in all of this has seen the kindness and the faithfulness of God, of of this Lord whom she now calls upon. She's experiencing it firsthand being brought in. And she has fruitfulness. She bears a child. Right? She had no children before, but now she, she bears one. And in fact, they are even given the blessing of being... May, may she be like Ruth and... Or, uh, may, may she be like um, Rachel and Leah. May she give birth to many children and be prominent in our history. But we also have Naomi being, being, being restored here into wholeness. She now has an heir. She didn't have one before, but now she ends up with a grandchild. Her two sons had died, but now, remarkably, in this turn of events, she has a grandchild. And not only that, but she has Ruth, which is ex- who is extolled in verse 15 as being worth more to you than seven sons. The family name will go on. The line will continue with a place in the land. Naomi has a future. She's no longer... She's no longer Mara, which means bitter. Remember at first, at the, the, the beginning, she said, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. 
because of all the bitterness that she experienced. But now she's Naomi. It's pleasant for me. And she's being taken care of by Boaz. And she has a future of being taken care of by her grandson. There's a beautiful restoration that happens here. But even a restoration that happens before the, the finale. Because, because we've seen her also have a, a renewed understanding and a renewed faith in the Lord. Once she, was, she thought that the hand of God was upon her and was, was bitter. But now she's blessing the Lord. She knows that his faithfulness doesn't waver. Though our faithfulness does. And though her faithfulness did. But even Boaz too. He's given blessing by his act of faithfulness here. He has the privilege of gaining Ruth, a woman of character and faith. And he's going to be given renown and glory here. We, uh, we, we see this uh, mention here of, of the blessing of may, may you be, may your house be like, like Perez, born of Tamar and Judah, which you can go read that in verse, or in Genesis 38. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week. But basically, the long and short of it is, another child born from a widowed woman but in a very different way of resolving the situation. But Perez, though, became the leading house in Judah. Boaz's line. We see in all this here, redemption is an incredible reversal of circumstances. Redemption is reversal. Reversal from curse and despair to blessing. And gladness. And fullness. And over and over, that's what we see throughout the Bible. Restoration and its promise throughout the whole biblical storyline. We see it in Adam and Eve. That though there was death, there was a promise of restoration to life. There may have been separation with God. But now though, there's the promise of communion with him again. We see it in the story of Noah. The earth was filled with wickedness. But then it was brought into the hope of a, and restored into, into a picture of new creation. Abraham and Sarah, two, children, or two, two people advanced in age without any children though, but restored and given a son. In the event of the Exodus, you had the people of Israel who were in bondage to, to, uh, to Egypt, but they were delivered from that. They were restored there and brought into covenant relationship and restored and given a home. But we also see people outside the covenant community. We see someone like Naaman, the Syrian general, who was a foreigner with leprosy, but who was healed of leprosy. And it continues even into the book of Isaiah with the servant of the Lord, the one who would be pierced for our sins, crushed for our transgressions, yet through that would be raised into victory. See, the Bible is a story of God's restoration. Story after story of how God restores people. Taking what was lost and then restoring it in hope. Doing it for real people. Right? The, 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 Jesus' parable of the prodigal son and the forgiving father. That's a story of restoration of a son who left everything. Who left his father and who wasted everything coming back to his father. And being restored in love and joy, though he didn't deserve it. Restoration, though, also involves relationships, doesn't it? It involves restored relationships with God. And as we are restored, we also have restored relationships with one another, too. 
That's what we see in Ruth. We have a restoration of communion with the Lord even before the restored circumstances here, right? Ruth knows the Lord at this point. Naomi has a renewed, restored relationship with the Lord. And over and over here, it is a God who restores. That's what we see. And not just conceptually, not just for these people in these stories throughout the Bible, but he restores people just like you, just like me. His restoration involves people. And it's more than just this wider story than just of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. Which gives us a bigger idea here of what restoration is than just simply material blessings or earthly joy. Which is our third point. He's a redeemer for the generations. A redeemer for the generations. Ruth and Boaz, they have a son. Naomi has a grandson and they name him Obed. Now Boaz, we see here, isn't the only redeemer. Obed is also, if you look and if you read carefully, beginning in verse 14 and 15, Obed is also hailed as a redeemer of Naomi as well. These women hail this child as a redeemer also. That he is blessed by the Lord. Obed is going to be the restorer of life, the nourisher of Naomi in old age. Obed, this child is the means of provision for her. Restoration and reversal from destitution, though, into a future. The one who will provide her with bread. Obed, though, is more than a redeemer. Obed is also a servant. That quite literally, that's what his name means. Obed means servant. He came to her for redemption. And he came to serve her. Obed is the means of Naomi's survival by his servitude, by his care. So we have right here a child of covenantal faithfulness. Birthed by covenantal faithfulness. The covenantal faithfulness uh, that Boaz and Ruth have shown to others and to one another here. The covenantal faithfulness of the Lord. And then this child Obed is to serve Naomi by continuing to show her his own covenantal faithfulness. See, in Obed we see the Lord's faithfulness extending beyond Naomi and Ruth. And Boaz, extending beyond them and going to the nation of Israel. This is ultimately a story of God's covenant faithfulness to his people. Because we see at the end here, Obed becomes the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David, King David. Ruth and Boaz, they gave birth to a kingly line. The parad- king David, the paradigmatic king in Israelite history. The Lord's providence continues in the story and it extends past these characters to the wider people of Israel. See, the, re- the redemption of, of Naomi and Ruth by Boaz, the redemption of Naomi by Obed was for the nation, not just for them, for themselves, it was for the nation. Now remember, what was the era of of, of history taking place here that, that Ruth took place in. It's from the very beginning, the very first, first verse. It was in the days of the judges. The days of the judges where it was chaos, pandemonium, those two refrains over and over in the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
And in those days, there was no king in Israel. But yet, despite their wickedness and despite their disunity, the Lord's covenantal faithfulness extended to the people then, to the wider people, to the nation, through a king to bring them unity and order. They needed a king like David. They needed a son like Obed. They needed the covenantal faithfulness of God. Friends, this is where the story of the book of Ruth, the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, the story that the Lord puts together here, this is where it also becomes our story. They are our spiritual ancestors. They are serving the same Lord. They were shown covenantal faithfulness by the same Lord. Even the same blessings from the same Lord. The same blessings? Which brings us back to that initial thought, and they lived happily ever after. Does that story sound too much like a fairy tale? Is the ending a little too unrealistic for us? The ending here at the, at, at, at the, the, the end of, book of, of the, the book of Ruth here doesn't seem to fit a lot of our lives. You follow God your entire life only to experience disaster and disappointment. And even in the midst of life, there's no promise of our lives happening like, like theirs did. But Ruth, though, doesn't give anyone the promise of life that looks like Naomi and Ruth. Ruth likely became a widow again when Boaz died. Boaz was of a considerable age older than she was. Naomi assuredly had her share of struggles again. Ruth and Boaz probably had some parenting difficulties. Obed may have been a redeemer, but there were voids that he could not fill in the lives of Naomi and others. But what the Lord gave them, he also gave us. Covenantal faithfulness and redemption in a son. A son who is the hope of all Israel, not just for these individuals. A son who gave them David, and yet not just David, the hope of Israel. The hope for God's people in all times and all places, past David... All the way to Jesus. There's no story of God's covenantal faithfulness to Naomi and Ruth, then there's no story of Christ for you. God's redemption in its truest sense, God's redemption in its fullest sense, in its most satisfying way, and its most needed sense, is revealed to us in a Son, the Son of God who came for us with a sacrificial willingness to redeem the lost. A sacrificial willingness where he would put aside his own divine glory and take on human flesh for us. A sacrificial willingness for himself to die in the place of lost sinful people. A sacrificial willingness to give up everything so that they could have everything. A son who restores the wholeness. A son who restores us in glory and who is remaking his people into whole people in his image. A son who is reversing the sorrow and the curse in this world. This is a son of covenantal faithfulness in whom we find blessing, in whom we can have hope. 
in whom we can have acceptance before God and with his people, in whom we can have the hope of a future and of glory. See, this is a son who came to serve like Obed came as a servant. There are no guarantees of fairy tale endings in life. The book of Ruth never promises that. But in this story, in this book, God reveals an ending and he reveals a life that dwarfs any pleasant ending in this life. And that's life in re of redemption in Christ. And his covenantal faithfulness isn't only for you and your struggles right now. His covenantal faithfulness is everlasting. Because he brings you into a life and a redemption that is eternal. Redemption and blessing, at its truest sense, is communion with God. It's in his life, and it's among others who also experience that. See, God's faithfulness, God's blessing in Christ is resurrection. And that's an ending that's far better than any fairy tale, because it's true. It's the promise that's held out, the promise that's secured for you in Christ. And that's what we look forward to in Advent. It's what we celebrate in Christmas. We are remembering his promise as God intervened into the world and as Jesus entered. And how he wove our ordinary stories together into his grand story. How the story of sin and death and the fall and curse isn't everything. Because there is a redeemer who came into the world for us. And we look for hope. We look in hope for his blessed return for redemption and for restoration that isn't too good to be true because it is good and it is true. And we live holding to the promise of God's covenantal faithfulness until his day of completion. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are so faithful to your covenant promises that you have made to us. The promises that you have made to us when we have not deserved them for a moment. And when we continue to walk in our own arrogance and pride and sinfulness and idolatries, yet you are faithful to bring us back. You are faithful to be at work in us, to form, to form us into the image of Jesus. No matter the times, give us a deeper faith to look to you in those moments, in all our moments, when the moments when we are confused, the moments when we are glad, all of them, you are the same. You are steadfast in your character. We grow us in that faith. And thank you that you do so through ordinary means, even like coming to a table with bread and a cup. Prepare our hearts as we come to the Lord's table. In Jesus' name, amen.